Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston, Executive Recruiter, Director of Recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And today, we're going to talk about a topic that's kind of taken the auditing world by storm. And so I have with me today Lynn Trong, professional speaker and corporate trainer, providing CPE training on a variety of topics, including agile auditing, corporate culture, ERM, emotional intelligence, and critical thinking skills. Man, she's got it all. She's also a former chief audit executive, so I think she knows what she's talking about, with more than 25 years of experience building audit departments, SOX streamlining and cost reduction, and more. Today, she joins us to discuss agile auditing, an approach to auditing that addresses the challenges internal audit functions face today. So Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome and thank you for having me. Of Glad to be here. Of course. So interesting <coughs> switch. You go from auditing, which auditors are usually pretty introverted, mm -hmm. to public speaking. Yes. So not all of us, not all auditors are introverts. And even if you start out being introverted, I think the internal audit world will force you to expand and be an extrovert eventually, uh, or you will eventually roll out into maybe the accounting department and uh, maybe other functions. <laughs> <laughs> so why does it force you to be extroverted? Well, you have to interact with a lot of your audit clients, right? Mm -hmm. You're having to interact with the C-suite, with your team, obviously, um, other executives, and find out what your, their problems are and find a way to fix those problems. Awesome. Well, that makes sense then that you would have to come out of your shell a little bit if you were originally in your shell, but I don't think you ever were. No. So <laughs> I was pretty social and, and um, extroverted from, from the get-go. But yes, that thank is. you for noticing. <laughs> hey, extroverts recognize That's extroverts. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm curious, and I, and I do want to jump into the topic of agile auditing, but for our audience who may not be as familiar with auditing, mm -hmm. especially internal auditing, can you kind of just give us a real brief snapshot of what that is? Sure. So agile is a term that refers to a project management methodology that originated in the software development world. But really, that you can use it to manage any type of projects, including audit projects or audits. And so it focuses on certain values. There are four values and 12 principles within the Agile methodology. And some of those principles and values are that you um, focus on or prioritize customer, uh, customer satisfaction as well as um, collaboration mm -hmm. and doing things in increments, smaller increments. Okay. So if you think about the traditional way of auditing uses a waterfall method, which is planning a, a very large scoped audit, which could take 
two months, eight weeks or so to, to conduct, and you plan at the beginning and you follow that plan to the very end without much allowance for adapting or changing or revising. So with agile auditing, you are doing smaller increments, finishing that off, delivering the product or recommendations to the audit client, and then moving on to the next smaller increment of uh, value. Interesting. And you said there's four components. Did I hear that right? Values. Values and then 12 principles. Principles. We don't have time to go through all of them today, <laughs> but I will pick out some highlights. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So in your opinion, why should an internal audit team use the agile auditing approach as opposed to the waterfall? Right. So the way I started in internal audit 20 Five, 28 years ago, it was the traditional uh, audit methodology focused on process auditing. So you would take a process and audit um, from A to Z that process. <clears throat> and so if you were to apply agile auditing or agile methodology, you would only focus on the things that matter the most to your customers. Mm -hmm. So in the audit world, your audit clients are your key stakeholders are the business owners, whether that be the VP of supply chain or the VP of safety, et cetera, finding out what the risks matter most to them and focusing on auditing just those risks and just the processes that address those risks the most. So you don't do the entire audit. You only pick out, cherry pick out the um, areas, the audit procedures, the processes, the risks that matter most to the organization. So uh, in the end, internal audit will be much more aligned with what matters most to the business. Gotcha. And so just kind of a follow-up question. I mean, let's say I'm the business owner mm -hmm. and I want to hide something from you. So I don't pick that process to audit. Right. I say, oh, that's not a risk. Right. So the way that I would validate or check the uh, information that's being handed to me by the business owners mm -hmm. is you start with the company-wide enterprise risk, um, ERM, enterprise risk management or enterprise risk assessments of the organization. So this is a process that involves the CEO and all his direct reports, VPs, SVPs, executive leadership team, to find out what the biggest risks to the company are. Um, and that process is divorced from planning the audit. And so once they identify the highest risk to the company, you would take that information as the head of the audit department and plan your audit around that. So then there's really not a chance for them. You're not approaching them and saying, what should I audit? You are taking information that was developed from all the executives powwowing, getting into a room, deciding what the biggest risks are, and taking those risks and aligning your audit plan to that. Gotcha. That makes a whole lot more sense. So they can't say that XYZ is, is, is high risk to their CEO and then turn around to you and say, oh, no, no, that's not high risk. So, yeah, you have to follow that, that Bible, if you will. Okay. So there are checks and balances in <clears throat> yes. place still, even though it's a different form. Absolutely. To make sure that we're not, you know... We're not hiding stuff from our stakeholders, like in the case of Elizabeth Holmes, where she got away with that for years. Exactly, exactly. No, she was not very transparent, and therefore she was able to, to hide the, the truth. There's lack of transparency, and, and there were no checks and balances right. in that organization. Absolutely. So, in your opinion, does utilizing the 
agile auditing, I keep on wanting to call it agile. (laughs) (laughs) The agile auditing changed the way a company would assess its risks. And I think you kind of addressed that, but let's go a little bit deeper on that. Right. So it wouldn't change the way a company identifies, prioritizes, and manages their risks. That's happening irregardless of whether the audit department is implementing Agile or not. What it does, though, is take it to the next layer. So peeling back the onion, not only would the audit department plan their annual audit plan in accordance with the ERM, or the highest risk to the organization, but also once they decide which audits to conduct, they would scope those individual audits to only include the areas or the processes that would address those risks with the the highest impact. And then even once they select those processes, they would go to the next layer and only uh, include in their audit program testing controls that would would impact the risk the most. And so you continually um, risk assess and risk assess even down to the audit program level. So if you are auditing the supply chain process because that happens to be one of your highest risk areas, you wouldn't audit every control within the supply chain uh, process. You would pick out the controls that are most key. Can you give us an example? Sure. Somebody would audit? So if, um, let's say, if if one of your highest risks is is fraud and you've determined that a lot of fraud uh, is is inherent in the supply chain process, then you you wouldn't necessarily... um, audit any controls that didn't impact fraud in supply chain, you would pull out those controls within the supply chain area that directly impact fraudulent activity or the, the risk of fraud. So depending upon what audits you, you decide to do based upon the ERM, you would only cherry pick those controls that impact those risks. Not every control under the supply chain umbrella. Gotcha. And that makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of what the external auditors do when they come in too, right? They're not they're not auditing every single that's control. That's right. That's right. So you bring they're up testing. A, you bring up an excellent point and an excellent analogy in that <clears throat> whenever we do SOX um, audits or financial controls audit, external auditors and internal audit, we don't audit every financial control under the sun, we are identifying which are the key controls. Mm-hmm. So the concept of cherry picking just the key com- controls can be applied to any process. It doesn't just have to be the financial reporting process. So the key is to pick out the most impactful controls within the areas that you're auditing. And then would you call it I know they call it testing and external auditing. Is, do you see that as a testing? Is that what you do as an internal auditor as well? Yes. Is it still called testing? <clears throat> yes. So okay. finding out what those controls are that are key within supply chain, within whatever area that, that is within your scope mm-hmm. of, of your audit plan, and finding out what those key controls are and just testing those. Gotcha. And if there's not a control in place, it's automatically a gap. So that's automatically a failure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a gap. I've not heard it said like that. Yeah. Before. If there's not a control in place at all to test, then that in itself is a, a failure. Okay. That goes on the audit report. And when you, so, and I'm going to kind of go off script for just a second because okay. I heard this a lot about, and I do want to come back to agile auditing, mm-hmm. but in your, what do you, what is your um, methodology when you're dealing with your other business units. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
and, and here's why I'm asking this question, because so many times you just said, we're going to write that in the audit report. Do you give them an opportunity to correct that? So absolutely, right? It, it should be a collaborative effort, which is, which is another attribute of agile auditing. But we are not doing an audit as in we versus, we the internal audit department versus the business owner. Let's have both of us in on the same team, on one side of the table. So the business owners and internal audit are a team that's going to tackle this risk mm -hmm. together. So um, it, it should be you know, finding out together what the highest risks are, what the what the key controls are, and and testing those. Um, so so hopefully I've answered your question on that. You, you did, you did, because you know so often when I talk to people that are outside of the internal audit department, they'll say you know they feel like they're being policed, and and I have talked to some that they're like I got you, but yeah. I think that that's more you know, the exception and the rule right. with auditors. Right. So, yes, of course, we allow them a chance to correct it, but it still gets reported. Um, but we will deliver that information as far as what needs improvement sooner to them, as soon as we find it. We don't wait two months into the audit and tell them at the end and, and surprise them, right? No surprises. Right. So they'll find out on a daily, at, at least weekly basis, what we're finding. And then we're vetting with them, right? We're seeing this as a problem, but please let us know if you have other information that proves us wrong, that um, it, it's, it's not going to prove this to be a failure. I love that. I can see why you are so good at your oh, job. Thank you. <laughs> So we've talked about some of the benefits of agile auditing, but what are some of the challenges? Right. So what I see as the biggest challenge, as with any transformational initiative, is buy-in. Buy-in mm. from the executives. Buy-in from all your stakeholders, really. Buy-in from your team. Are they going to uh, be willing to adapt to this new way of doing things? Is the audit committee okay with where the audit department is going? Um, are the senior executives okay with how it's going to impact um, their world? And I, th I think the answer will be yes, in that the, the key stakeholders will be getting more value, right. will be getting results quicker. And the team, the audit team, will also be more engaged, will also feel more valuable because they are working on the most important things to the executives. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so I'm an audit department mm -hmm. and I'm so used to doing the waterfall method, mm -hmm. but you've got my buy-in. Right. How do we implement this new, this agile auditing? How do we do that? Right. In very small phases. So most of the companies, companies like Walmart, Fidelity, uh, large oil companies, etc., they are starting out with a pilot project. So don't go from zero to 100 overnight. You know, I, I would highly recommend that you take um, a, a small audit and do that audit first, but not try to roll it out to every single audit for the entire year's plan with every, all, every single member of your team. Take a small m member of your team and roll it out incrementally. Okay. How many of these Agile audit systems have you implemented? I heard you talking in the green room, room quite a bit, and mm -hmm. you're doing this as a consultant now, right, right? Right. Just because you're, why do you do it as a consultant, and how many have you done? I've done a couple. Okay. So one with a very small company and one with a very large company. So I've been at opposite ends of the spectrum. So 
I would like to do more, but there's just not very many companies that are doing this yet. Mm -hmm. Agile auditing has only been around for a few years. So I first heard about it about three or four years ago um, when I saw a a presentation from one of the big four accounting firms. And since then, I've heard of some companies implementing it, and I've read up on a lot of lessons learned. I've talked to other CIEs who have done this, but uh, there's not been a lot of, of opportunities to help guide companies through. But I feel like um, having rolled off a four-month project of helping a Fortune 20 company go through this, I feel like I can help any company <laughs> go through this. Um, so, so yeah, there hasn't been a lot, but um, there's not been a lot of consultants that have done this right. for companies. So, well, And like you said, it is still brand new, but yes. here's what I'm hearing from you. I mean, they got your buy-in on this method. Yes. Yes, and and now is the perfect time to do something like this, mm-hmm. Casey, because, you know, there's resets, right? You're hearing oh, the word yeah. reset and disruption. There's so much disruption, and so companies are having to drastically change the way they're currently doing things, challenge the status quo, uh, challenging traditional ways that they've been doing things to adapt and address the changes, the disruptions that are coming at them. And so while your company, your organization is going through all these changes, What's one more change, you know, in order to address this? And Agile will allow you to do more with less resources because you are only doing a subset right. of your entire audit pro- program. You are just focusing on the highest risk areas instead of doing the entire thing. And and so now that companies are laying off and, and reducing resources, now is the best time to, to find a way to do the same or even more with less resources. Okay, I'm curious because, you know, we all know about the SEC and all this kind of stuff, especially for publicly traded companies. Tell me how this works with that. Right. I mean, we're still in compliance, right? Absolutely. Okay. So we're still going to document our work papers. We're still going to make sure that we have evidence to support our audit Mm -hmm. findings, et cetera. Now, we may not, um, you know, take... 10 pieces of paper to document that process, right? So we're going to touch upon another uh, attribute of agile auditing, which is we're going to try to remove as many non-value added steps as possible. So if it's taking you 10 layers of review and and layers of work papers to to document your, your audit, let's try to find a very streamlined way to still document our evidence, but not have to take, um, you know, 10 weeks to do that. Man, we need to do that in everything we do. Yes. Right? Yes. Finding the most important... Agile action. something. Yes. <laughs> no, really, you've touched upon... Uh, there, there's there's a school of thought out there that you can apply Agile to just about anything. Agile cleaning, you know, Agile... Agile recruiting. <laughs> there you go. Actually, we have had to find <laughs> to switch our recruiting around because of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is really kind of sped up the process in a way, but slowed it down in a way as well as, you know, because we're having to virtually meet our candidates now. Mm -hmm. We can't meet everybody face to face. Our companies are having to virtually meet their candidates. So speed to market, which is not as important as it used to be, um, just because there's not as much out there right now. But, you know, now that you say that, I'm just like, wow, okay, we're already doing that and it's working. Why are we going back? Yeah. Because... But here's where I think that it slowed it down. So from the recruiter side, from our point of contact to the client, it's going faster now. Yeah. 
from the client side, the interview process is lasting longer mm -hmm. because they're doing video interviews and they are doing like, I have one, I kid you not, company, 12 video interviews for one candidate. Oh my gosh. And then they passed. Wow. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> Hallelujah, right? You can get a candidate through 12 interviews. Yes, same company. So, but that's where we're seeing it slow down and that the companies are being very, very careful since they're having to virtually onboard these candidates. I see, yeah. So, and they can afford to be because they have, a, it used to be a candidate market and now it's an employer market. It is. And I don't think it's going to stay that way forever. Um, I think that we, we are already starting to see trends where the market's starting to speed back up. Mm -hmm. And I think as we get our people back to work, I, I think that eventually it will switch back to a candidate market. That's my opinion. So Well, I, I, I'll i be very happy for you. <laughs> and <laughs> our Everybody. entire economy, yeah. Everybody. Once we start getting yeah. there. So who benefits the most from this type of auditing? Is it the internal audit audience stakeholders? Who? So to be clear, everybody benefits, okay. right? The, the stakeholders, your business owners are getting more value, mm -hmm. as we previously talked about. But I think that the internal audit team uh, has the most to benefit because they are not only providing more value to their stakeholders, but they're also being more engaged. So their team, the way the Agile is set up, everybody um, gets to participate at every step rather than going through sequential steps where just the lead auditor is filtering information to the executives or to the audit leadership. Everybody is talking to leaders. So you'll, you'll have a more engaged team um, and, and you'll, they'll feel a lot better about what they're doing because what they're doing is always going to have value to their stakeholders. You know, that's really interesting that you said that. And what came to my mind, and tell me if I'm right here, is, you know, you have, like, especially in the bigger companies, um, in the accounting department, which is my world that I come from, is accounting, um, you have some of those accountants that are doing the full cycle accounting, so they get to see all the pieces. Mm -hmm. But then you have those that get siloed mm -hmm. into maybe AP, AR, or just reconciliation. Right. And it sounds like it may be the same in audit. That's right. But this takes out that silo piece. Exactly. So okay. it used to be in traditional auditing, the staff auditor would just know how to do cash, right? Audit cash. And they didn't know how that little piece of their world fits into the bigger piece. But in agile auditing, everybody sits at the same table having the same project meetings. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to filter through um, up the chain and then filter back down the chain. But the staff will be sitting there with the audit director talking about the same issues, sitting in the team resolving issues together. So everyone's going to have more engagement and more visibility into what the, the ultimate value of the audit project is about. And what a great opportunity to train up your next generation Absolutely. and mentor them. A lot of development opportunities yeah. in this new way. Okay. Yeah. You have my buy-in. <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, we kind of touched on this earlier, but what sizes and types of companies with internal audit departments have adopted this approach? Right. So you're right. It's really all sizes. But I will say that the smaller audit departments will have a much um, easier time to to move to agile auditing because they're small. They're they're already uh, very nimble. Mm -hmm. They can pivot very quickly being a yep. small audit department. Now, um, with the last consulting engagement I was on implementing agile, it was for a department that had a hundred. Uh, auditors, you know, for a Fortune 20-ish company. Yeah, and, and so they were so used to being very fat and happy 
with many, many layers, a, a lot of red tape, that to move to agile auditing was, was a 180 um, turn for them. And so they, they had a lot more difficulties getting there, but it's not impossible, right? You just have to do it with baby steps. I love that. Um, and it sounds you, like you've already answered my next question too, but I just want to be very clear. Is it possible to do a hybrid between Waterfall and Agile? Mm. A absolutely. So with this large company that was helping, we, we had to do the mm -hmm. first pilot with the hybrid. We couldn't go full Agile because it was just too different from what they were right. used to. So a hybrid approach is a perfect way to kind of ease a company into full Agile. That is awesome. Awesome, Lynn. So before I get to our VIP questions, I want to give you an opportunity to tell our audience how do they find you, where do oh. they go to, you know, if they want to connect with you. Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. Of course. So you find me on LinkedIn, Lynn San Trong. There may be a lot of Trongs out there, uh, but uh, yes, maybe on the VIP site, there'll, there'll be a link <laughs> to my LinkedIn profile, but um but yeah, so I'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have through LinkedIn uh, if, if we didn't get to everyone's questions or comments. I'm sure it's going to generate a lot. And as always, we will put that information in the show notes so that you can easily connect with her and make sure when you do that you put in the subject line that you saw her on We Are VIP. So she'll make sure and give you extra special preference before. So, all right. Are you ready for our VIP <laughs> I think, questions? I think I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> These are fun because they really, everybody answers them differently and they interpret them differently. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a lot of fun to hear how your mind works in interpreting and then answering it. So it's just for fun. Okay. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? So the first person I would take would be Elon Musk because he has devoted so much of his um, adult life, his resources, his money um, into, you know, in, investing in a group of people who have been working on colonizing Mars for so long. So he would be my number one pick to take with me. He's a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second person would be Jeff Bezos oh. because he also has a competing um, initiative called Blue Origin that's also trying to race to uh, Mars, and so I didn't know that. yeah, so <laughs> he would be my my second person that I would take. Just all the uh, smart people, right? Yeah, so those <laughs> two people probably have done a lot, lot of research and investment in this initiative. So so definitely can't can't go wrong with those two. And then the last thing I would pick would not be a person, but a book uh, by Stephen Hawking's um, "Brief Answers to the Big Questions," because in that book I think has a lot of lessons learned for humanity on how not to screw up, right? If, we're gonna, if we get a do-over opportunity on Mars, then let's not repeat some of the mistakes that we've made um, on Earth. And so this book speaks to some of that. And um, so that would be the three things. I'm going to have to go read that book. I haven't <laughs> read it. So I love to read. So what is one thing you do in the every day, every morning, mm -hmm. mostly, mm -hmm. to set your day up for success? So the one of the very first things I do when I wake up is I grab my phone, but I, the thing that I do on my phone first and foremost is read the news. And so from that, I'll find out what the hot topics are, so I'll be prepared to maybe have a, a conversation when people chat me up at work. Um, and then I also look at the weather to know how, how to dress. You need to put the hair up in a ponytail or not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and, and so, yeah, by reading the news and checking the weather, I feel like I'm already... Um, that much more set up for success than if I had not done that first. Okay, very interesting. Um, our last question, I 
some people think this one's the hardest one, but we'll see. I bet you'll breeze right through it. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? The headline for me would be continuously improve. So when I say that, it's on so many levels. Con continuously improve myself as a person, as a human being, and as a professional throughout my, my life, but also continuously improve the world. Mm -hmm. So the processes, all those internal audit recommendations that I've offered up to senior management to, to improve the, the organization that I wor I've worked for, all the organizations I've worked for. And then hopefully in some small way, um, I, I have improved the world um, in a little bit, however small of an impact I've made. Um, so it continuously improve on all those levels. I love that. Are you familiar with the My Intent bracelets? I, I, I'm not. Okay, so this is a big Mel Robbins endorsement right here, but, but she doesn't have anything to do with My Intent, but she promotes them mm -hmm. because, and what it is is it's this little gold band and you choose your one word for the year that you want to work on. Oh. My word last year uh -huh. was improve. There you go, <laughs> see, I knew that we were Connected. I know. <laughs> well, Lynn, I just have one last thing to say to you besides thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been great. I know our readers, our readers, our audience is going to love it. But you are a VIP. Oh, thank you. I, I feel important already. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.